All right, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy 2023. It is Tuesday, January 3rd, 2023. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwinunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. Another year, another podcast, Jill. We read all the news and we will read between the lines so you don't have to this year. It was nice to get some rest. Nice to see you again in this new year. Uh, Jill, how, how was your break? Um, I need a vacation after this vacation. <laughs> and, and I think a lot of parents out there probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, it's just exhausting. I mean, even though there, it because there's nothing going on, you're like, oh my God, I need to occupy my kid's day for 24 hours, you know, except when they're sleeping, of course. So needless to say, it is good to be back. A very happy 2023 to you, Mosh, and to everyone else. So let's get to it. A new Congress gets sworn in today, but who will be Speaker of the House? What we know and don't know about the man accused of killing the four Idaho college students and what was behind those killings. What's next for Southwest Airlines after a travel debacle during the holidays? A new year, but the same war. The latest on the war in Ukraine we're fighting is only getting more intense. Record rainfall in Northern California and why researchers say you should be drinking a whole lot more water. All right, Jill, we're going to start here with the really frightening situation that took place during Monday Night Football last night. The big game between the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals was postponed after the Bills' safety, DeMar Hamlin, collapsed on the field after a collision in the first quarter. He was taken away by an ambulance in critical condition. They actually drove the ambulance onto the field to pick him up and take him to the hospital. It took place with about six minutes remaining in the first quarter. The Bills were trailing 7-3. to three. Hamlin tackled the Bengals receiver T. Higgins after a catch. Higgins appeared to ram Hamlin at full speed, hitting him in the head and chest area. Hamlin quickly stood up after the tackle on his feet, took two steps, but then collapsed straight backward, and his body went completely limp. Uh, he lied there motionless. Medical personnel then immediately rushed out there onto the field, administering CPR, attending to him for about 10 minutes, Players from both teams were very visibly upset, some crying uh, on the sideline while others circled together and knelt in prayer. One of the emergency responders appeared to administer him an IV. Hamlin, who is 24 years old, is just in his second year in the league, was then placed on a stretcher. Uh, The ambulance then drove out of the stadium, transporting him to University of Cincinnati Medical Center. As of late Monday night, he was listed in critical condition. One of his friends actually tweeting that he's on a breathing tube. There's lots of speculation online given the way he was hit uh, as to some rare heart conditions he might have had there. But we're really awaiting more details from the NFL, uh, from the team, and from medical officials over there at the University of Cincinnati. The NFL initially temporarily suspended the game uh, as they tried to assess what was going on. Then about an hour after the hit, announced that the uh, they would not be resuming the game. They sent home uh, the crowd from the Bengal Stadium. Uh, when or if the teams will return to the field is not immediately clear as of late Monday night. They are two of the best teams in the AFC. Both the Bengals and the Bills are set uh, to appear in the playoffs, which start in just under two weekends. But most importantly, we are sending our thoughts and prayers to Hamlin's family at this time. As uh, Again, as of late Monday night, as we record this podcast, He appears to be in critical condition, uh, awaiting more updates throughout the day on Tuesday. Uh, You can uh, follow those over on my Instagram feed at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. 
The 118th Congress will be sworn in today, creating a whole new dynamic and power structure in D.C. After two years of Democrats controlling the executive and legislative branches of government, there is now a divided Congress with Republicans controlling the House. So will this lead to moments of bipartisanship or more bitter division? Only time will tell. There are 84 new members. I have an idea. I have an idea, It's almost a joke. I can't even believe I wrote that. No, no. Uh, We want to be optimistic here, guys. It's a a new year. Um, There are 84 new members who won elections. That's seven new senators and 77 new representatives. Still unclear, though, who will be the next Speaker of the House. The vote is today. And again, not clear whether Republican leader Kevin McCarthy has enough votes. He has reportedly been begging countless lawmakers. He's offered extraordinary concessions, including allowing members to easily fire him at any time, all to help uh, secure this vote. And yet there appears to be about a dozen House Republicans who are simply unconvinced. The problem is, given how slim the majority is, he can only stand to lose four votes and hit that magic number of 218. A reminder, all representatives vote for speaker, including Democrats, who have all been instructed to vote against him. If McCarthy were to fall, it would represent a new level of chaos for House Republicans who have spent much of the last dozen years at war with the leadership of their party. He failed in his attempt at speaker back in 2015. So this would be his second big try. In the meantime, he is trying to accommodate the hardliners. Is it working, Moshe? Uh, Clearly only, not. <laughs> only time will tell is the answer there, Jill. This is the big drama uh, to be watching today. Uh, ideally, it ends today. I can't imagine it would go on multiple days. But this is supposed to be the easy part for the new House Republican majority. Electing a speaker is a responsibility given the House by the Constitution. This is normally a very ceremonial day. You know, the, the new speaker is the leader of the party. It's normally decided on way in advance. You know, you knew years in advance that if Democrats were had the majority again, Nancy Pelosi would be the speaker, et cetera. So this is supposed to be the easy part. This is not easy. Kevin McCarthy literally has about a dozen, a little more than a dozen hardliners, some who have sworn no matter what he does, they will vote against him. And he is begging and pleading them. So there's about five conservatives who said, we are no votes no matter what. There's another five to 10 members that apparently have issues with him. The vast majority, 200 or so of the Republicans are like, we'll vote for Kevin. But he has this group that are just like, I don't like you. I don't trust you no matter what you do. But he's been trying his best. So he's been changing various rules. Uh, You mentioned, you know, handing uh, the ability to fire him at any time. So he's given he's changed the rules now, which means that even if he gets through any five members at any time can call for a vote to boot him at any time. That wasn't the case with uh, previous Congresses. He has uh, changed the rules to uh, end the magnetometers outside the House chamber, which was an issue for some of them who want to, I guess, not have to go through magnetometer. Uh, so there's security uh, issues there. They, he's eliminated the fines for not wearing a mask. Um, and then there's more serious stuff. He's added committees, including a special panel on the weaponization of the federal government that'll investigate the FBI and Justice Department. There's a new committee on uh, China that some of the members wanted. And he's basically going around literally one by one. And these include like the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world and the Matt Gates of the world, uh, you know, some some folks on the far right who've always been distrustful of him. And they feel that uh, they're getting these concessions, but no matter what, uh, you know, they're not going to vote for him. So that's the drama that we're really watching here. And this really would be historic if somehow he can't clinch here. Uh, This would be the first time the House would have to keep voting beyond a first vote since 1923. 
the translation here is there's a lot of drama here. There's a lot of politics here. But what this is, is this is a sign uh, of the beginning, the first day of the House Republican majority. And if they can't get this done smoothly, and there's certainly some people on the outside, including Republican leaders over in the Senate, uh, former speakers like Newt Gingrich, who are like, guys, can we please do this? Can we get this done? Because like, there's a lot to get done in this next Congress. Like, This is the easy part. And it is a sign of the times because it wasn't that long ago that Republicans were considered the disciplined party and Democrats dysfunctional. Um, regardless, though, once they get through this drama, Republicans say they plan to get down to business. So what is on their agenda? Republicans only control the House. So that means legislatively, there's not a whole lot that they can do. That's because Democrats still control the Senate and Joe Biden has veto power. So instead, Republicans can leverage their investigative power. On the table, you could expect Republicans to flex their muscles when it comes to oversight related to the White House, COVID-19, the southern border, and a whole lot more. Yeah, I expect to hear a lot about Hunter Biden. Um, there's a whole variety of things they want to look into. Uh, Afghanistan is another one we mentioned on the podcast just before we went on break. Um, and this will be an issue, by the way, whether it's Kevin McCarthy, by the way, his backup, uh, apparently Steve Scalise is a number two. He's another congressman uh, who could potentially be the next speaker, um, regardless who becomes the next speaker who runs uh, basically the Republican caucus, which is the, you know the majority in the House. Uh, investigations will be their thing. Now, they're going to have to also deal with some members uh, who want to impeach Biden, like starting tomorrow. Uh, and right now, that's on the table. They feel that that'll be a distraction. They're not quite sure why they would impeach Biden, but some people just want to impeach him to impeach him. So there's all the investigations, some legitimate, some that could go too far. We'll see in the past few Congresses, whether it's been Democrats or Republicans, there is the tendency to go a little too far sometimes uh, and, and really just kick up noise to create frustrations, subpoenas of the White House. You certainly saw Democrats do it to Trump. You're going to see Republicans do it to Biden here. Um, there is room, we mentioned Jill at the top, you know, room for optimism. Well, given that we now have a congressional situation where the Democrats control the Senate, Republicans control the House, they will have to work together on some basic things like the annual spending bill, preventing a government shutdown at some point, uh, the debt ceiling, uh, increasing the amount of money the federal government can borrow. That'll be an issue the two sides will have to debate and come to some sort of agreement on. Uh, that's going to be difficult. We might see a government shutdown this year like we saw during the Obama years. One thing, though, that the two sides do agree on where we could see some interesting potential compromises is that both parties want to rein in big tech. They want to rein them in for different reasons, but the big tech companies, the Facebooks, the Googles, uh, expect to see them visiting Capitol Hill relatively frequently these next two years as the parties have a lot of questions for them, given how large they've gotten. For Republicans, the big issue is accountability for what they see as censorship of Republican members, collusion between the government and big tech. Democrats, their big issue is how the tech is handling hate speech, how tech is handling how big tech has gotten antitrust issues the uh, link between social media and mental health. So both parties have issues with tech for different reasons, but that will uh, certainly be one of the things that I think we all want to be watching in the coming months. One of the other headlines that we're watching from Capitol Hill, uh, George Santos, the congressman-elect from my neck of the woods, Nassau County on Long Island, who pretty much lied about everything in his bio. Um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> literally, it's not clear. It's, <laughs> like, like literally beyond his name, it is not clear we know anything about this guy. So he is going to be taking his oath today. Uh, there are still a ton of calls for him to resign. The Republican Party in Nassau says they will not endorse him in 2024. 
but legally, not much that they or anyone can do to prevent him from taking office. Yeah, so a reminder, George Santos, a uh, newly elected Republican from New York, Jill is a constituent of his. Um, before the holiday, we told you about him as his basically entire biography unraveled, though after he was elected. So he lied about where he worked. He lied about where he went to college. He literally lied about when his mother died, at times saying she died on 9-11, then saying she was in the Twin Towers 9-11, but then died later, saying she died in December. I recommend everyone watch, and I'll link to it in the show notes, this interview clip uh, that Tulsi Gabbard, the former Democratic congresswoman who's now a Fox News anchor, uh, she did an interview with Santos where she basically ripped him. Uh, it's a fascinating watch, so I'll link to it in the show notes. But there's really nothing anyone can do at this point. Incidentally, we told you about that close vote for Speaker of the House. Santos very strategically endorsed Kevin McCarthy, who needs literally every vote. So McCarthy isn't commenting on him at this moment. Other Republican leaders say, I don't want him serving on any of my committees. I don't know what his deal is. As of right now, uh, there's not much that can be done about him, though the FEC, the Federal Election Commission, is investigating him, given all these lies, to see if whether he broke any laws. Uh, the uh, You can imagine the Ethics Committee on Capitol Hill will do something about him. Uh, but until the 2024 election, uh, there's not much that can be done unless Congress gets together and a majority of House members vote him out, vote to expel him, which would entail, uh, you know, a number of his Republican colleagues. So watch for that story to unfold, especially once this leadership thing uh, gets solved. But this is a pretty remarkable thing where he basically is like, well, I didn't do anything illegal, which they're checking into. That's sort of the standard we're at right now, Jill. I didn't do anything illegal. Like, let me stay in Congress. He's actually, um, according to Richie Torres, a congressman from the Bronx, Democrat who you've interviewed before, <clears throat> he says that Brazilian authorities are actually reopening a criminal case against George Santos, who committed fraud in Brazil, uh, which means, according to Torres, he would now be the target of local, state, national, and international law enforcement. And just in summary, Richie Torres tweeted or posted the other day. He said, George Santos pretended to be a gay, Afro-Latino, Ukrainian, Brazilian, Catholic Jew whose mother died on 9-11, whose ancestors survived the Holocaust, whose employees died in the Pulse Club mass shooting, and whose net worth rose by millions overnight. Am I missing anything? It's a it's a pretty good summary uh, in just a couple hundred characters there, Congressman Torres. Uh, and, and by the way, that's something that many Republicans uh, would would agree with. It'll be interesting to see what happens to him, but uh, it, it sounds like nothing. Like he's gonna, he's representing for, me for at least two years. For for now, we'll see how these investigations unfold. Uh, I I actually I know we just did a predictions podcast, Joe. I don't know that he makes it two years, but we'll see. Now onto a huge development in the case of the four Idaho college students found stabbed to death back in November. In case you missed it, police had arrested Brian Koberger, a 28-year-old criminology graduate student in connection with that crime. He has been charged with first-degree murder and will appear in a Pennsylvania court today. The public defender in Pennsylvania's Monroe County, where Koberger was taken into custody, says that he is, quote, eager to be exonerated and therefore will likely waive his extradition hearing so that he can quickly be brought to Idaho to face the charges. He was arrested at his parents' home in Effort, Pennsylvania, early Friday morning. That's about 2,500 miles away from the crime scene. He is accused of murdering those four young victims on November 13th at a rented house near the university campus in Moscow, Idaho. Koberger was a doctoral student in the criminal justice and criminology department at Washington State University, about nine miles from Moscow. 
He was known to make creepy and inappropriate comments to female employees and customers at a Pennsylvania brewery. Two law enforcement sources familiar with the investigation have said that DNA evidence played a key role in linking the murders to Koberger. But Mosh, there is still so much we don't know, like a possible motive, Koberger's potential relationship to any of the victims, what kind of evidence led police to track him down. And by the way, the murder weapon still has not been found. Yeah, the police chief, James Fry from Moscow, uh, told NBC in an interview over the weekend that they can't share any details about a possible motive yet, but they will share information with the public when they can. Uh, Keep in mind, since he's effectively waiving uh, a fight over extradition, we could see him back in Idaho as soon as uh, Tuesday night into Wednesday. This is really a fascinating uh, story here, Jill. Uh, Koberger took courses with a famed forensic psychologist. Her name is Catherine Ramsland, who has written nearly 70 books, including How to Catch a Killer, The Psychology of Death Investigations, The Mind of a Murderer. Uh, This guy clearly had a very keen interest in this. Too keen an interest uh, as far as the uh, authorities are concerned. Uh, But beyond that, the circumstantial stuff, apparently there's a a huge DNA link that we uh, ideally will learn more about this week. Uh, Once he gets back to Idaho, apparently uh, police took DNA from the scene, ran it through a public database. There was a lot of DNA on the scene, given uh, the multiple murders, the people who had been through the house, etc. But they basically ran all the DNA they found through a public database, then used genetic genealogy techniques to connect the DNA to Koberker through family members. So imagine here we're talking about maybe using a 23andMe or something similar to that in Ancestry, etc. As far as the police chief is concerned, he says they are, quote, certain this is our guy. We've got one more phase to go, and then the victory will be won. Though they are continuing the investigation, they're looking into every aspect of this. Um, And so I imagine we will learn more in the coming days. Jill, as I learned more about this guy's biography, Koberger, it sort of reminded me of the um, story we were following over the summer, the trial back in Oregon, where the woman uh, who was the romance novelist who once wrote a book called How to Murder Your Husband was actually convicted of murdering her husband. So he received a bachelor's degree from DeSales University, okay? And in a Reddit post that has since now been deleted, um, someone using his name, so the assumption is that it was him, shared a a survey link for a research project for DeSales University about criminals' behavior and motives in specific offenses. So the person had written that they were seeking to understand how emotions and psychological traits influence decision-making when committing a crime The questions in that survey have also been deleted. Um, One of them was, after committing the crime, what were you thinking and feeling? How did you leave the scene? And why did you choose that victim or target over others? Again, it's your point, just so bizarre. You know, there there are a lot of links here. He did attend a university studying criminology just nine miles from Moscow. Uh, Apparently, his uh, cell phone was traced. The DNA was traced. Uh, the white Hyundai they were looking for is the uh, uh, car that he drove across the country to Pennsylvania, where he was ultimately arrested. So we will uh, keep everyone up to date on what happens here. But uh, I know we, we've reported on how frustrated people were in Idaho with the lack of progress in that investigation. So uh, some good news. Hopefully people are able to sleep more soundly tonight uh, and, and this week in Idaho now that uh, he has been brought to justice. Okay, now on to the other big story from the end of the year, the travel chaos and a complete meltdown of Southwest Airlines after a week of massive cancellations. It looks like things are finally back to running smoothly for Southwest. 
but can the airline's reputation recover? Southwest had to cancel about 16,000 flights during the holidays. Thousands of customers and crew members were stranded during this busy holiday travel season. Now the Department of Transportation is investigating those cancellations and whether Southwest potentially could have done more to avoid them. Congress also promising hearings and potentially some new laws. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg also under fire from Democrats and Republicans uh, to do more to protect consumers. He had conversations with the airline's CEO. He tweeted over the weekend, Southwest Airlines failed its customers this past week, and our department will continue action to get travelers what they are owed. It is interesting, though, Mosh, because Southwest is pretty beloved, actually, by a lot of travelers who are quite loyal. So I guess the question is, will the airline make things right? The CEO, Bob Jordan, has apologized. He actually said there's no way to almost apologize enough. He says lessons will be learned and that they will reimburse travelers for things like car rentals and hotel rooms. He said the chaos started with bad weather, uh, but most that certainly was not the only reason. No, there are a number of factors there. And by the way, the reimbursement for travelers uh, is a start, but for some people missing Christmas with their family, missing New Year's with their family. If you Google uh, Southwest and you go to some of the stories, I mean, literally there's a story of, of this bride who missed her wedding in Belize because of Southwest Airlines. So, um, you know, there's there's one thing, some things can be made up for monetarily, but certain experiences um, cannot. I was hearing from dozens of people across the country, Jill, actually, as a, a, as we took a break on the podcast, took a break on the Instagram feed, heard from so many, I was like, I, I got to stay on, on this and um, stayed with coverage uh, through Christmas. And it was incredible hearing people's stories, you know, people driving from like California to Missouri, driving from Maine to Florida. Like literally they're like, I will, I don't trust Southwest for the week. And they basically canceled almost everything for an entire week. By the way, we should mention as we tape this podcast on Monday night, Jill, uh, Southwest on Monday canceled about 3% of its flights and delayed about 10% of its flights. So not quite the chaos we saw the previous week, but still frustrating uh, to no end. Okay, Moshe, it is one thing to miss a wedding is another thing to miss your wedding. That is insane. It's And, you know, the, this bride was talking about, you know, like they're going to have to reschedule the wedding. And, and then she was talking to guests about trying to take their flights. And the guests are like, yeah, we won't come to the wedding. Like we want to get the bride to her wedding. And then you had all the missing luggage. So people just losing their, you know, dresses and, you know, just all the, it just is tragic. I heard from people on Instagram who were like, you know, my unaccompanied minor was traveling on a flight and now they're stuck. At, you know, my 11 year old is stuck in a city right now. That's you know, how do we manage wow. that? It's it's frightening. And, you know, and I was getting messages and they're like, what do you recommend? How do I get my refund? I'm like, well, there's websites and links and we're going to try to stay on top of this, especially on the Instagram feed. Uh, try to help everyone. But that's going to be one of the things that Congress will be investigating that the transportation department is going to be getting into here is how to ensure, again, to the extent that some things can be replaced, right? Uh, that, you know, you can be reimbursed. There is that. But certain experiences, you know, for many people, Christmas 2022 didn't happen with their family and friends or in the places they intended to because of this meltdown. So how this meltdown happened? A variety of things. So there was weather, and the weather impacted all the airlines. Add to that at Southwest, they have an aging computer system, like from the 80s and 90s, that they haven't updated that's frustrated folks. So that broke down. Then you had a certain number of call-outs, people who were sick, who were called out out of Denver. That sort of had this domino effect. And then uh, staff, uh, flight attendants, pilots, et cetera, trying to call in to find out their new assignments. They were on hold sometimes for 17 to 24 hours 
trying to get into uh, the central system because the computer system is so dated. Then add to that that Southwest. One of the reasons Southwest is cheaper is they use what's called a point-to-point system. So the majority of carriers, like United, American, Delta, have uh, they operate on what's called a hub-and-spoke basis. The planes have hub airports, uh, and they the planes will return to those airports at the end of the day. So like if you're a United customer, you know Newark, uh, Houston, uh, Denver are your hubs. Uh, Delta, LaGuardia, uh, Minneapolis, uh, Atlanta hubs. Uh, I, I could go on and on. Southwest doesn't approach that in a similar way. They use what's called point-to-point, meaning planes will fly from destination to destination to destination without returning to the main hubs. So what that means is that the traditional airlines the you know that are slightly pricier, right, Delta, United American, they can shut down specific routes when bad weather hits, and with good planning, they can have crews and planes in place. Southwest, since they're popping around the country, like they'll begin in Tampa and then go to Chicago and then go to Denver and then go end in Dallas, getting their crews when when weather happens, when cancellations happen, um, is more difficult getting them around the country. And so it actually allows them to be more efficient during the good times. But when uh, weather issues, when they have these computer issues uh, come together, uh, it led to a complete disaster. And we watched that unfold at a level that I, you know, if you think about airlines in the past, you know, decade, two decades, we haven't seen anything at this level. Look, it's just another reminder that if at all possible, and it is not always possible, but if it is that you really should try not to check a bag and, and you know, just bring whatever you can in a carry on. It's a discussion in my family all the time. Can we fit it all into carry-on just to make things easier? Because even in good times, like they might lose baggage, et cetera. And we're seeing this um, now with what's going on with Southwest. Frankly, a lot of airlines, uh, people saw this over the break. If you made it to your destination, maybe your bags did not, uh, given that was everything that was going on. The big thing to watch here, Jill, is what larger reforms will happen out of this because the frustration here was bipartisan, Democrat and Republicans, right? That both parties fly. Both parties are frustrated. They both want the government to clamp down more on the airlines that were deregulated years ago, a couple decades ago. uh, And it's made for cheaper fares to a certain extent from what we saw years ago. But at the same time, it means that there's a lot less rules on the airlines. Do new rules need to be imposed that protect consumers? And that's where the pressure is going to come from Congress. What more can be done? And there are times actually where the airlines actually are sort of begging for more regulation because then it forces all the airlines to follow certain rules and not certain airlines to spend more money uh, to do better things for consumers. So if the government mandates it, that's sort of they'll sort of secretly hear a thank you from the airlines. So we'll see what the Southwest disaster uh, means. And that's it. That's something actually Congress can do that Washington can do that I think people would actually like and most people would agree on. Everyone wants to get more sleep, and there are a ton of different sleep hacks out there, noise machines, meditation, earplugs, which I do, but you can immediately transform your sleep with Bowl & Branch. We have Bowl & Branch sheets in our house. They're in white. They are so soft. In fact, we say all the time, but they really do get softer with every wash. And the sheets also come in a really pretty box, kind of wrapped up like a present just for you. They feel buttery and breathable to start. And again, as Moshe and I always say, they get softer with every wash. Best of all, it feels a little bit luxurious every time you slip into bed. These best-selling sheets are also made with the finest 100% organic cotton. They're completely free from toxins, soft yet super breathable. 
There's a 30-night worry-free guarantee so you can wash them, style them, and sleep in them for an entire month. And if you don't really love them, you could send them back right away. And again, they're made without toxins. There's no synthetic pesticides, formaldehyde, and other harsh chemicals. So sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bowl & Branch. Get 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS at bowlandbranch.com. That is Bowl & Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. That promo code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, for 15%, 1-5% off your order. Time now for the speed read from the AP. Ukrainian forces fired rockets at a facility occupied by the Russian military in the Donetsk region, killing 63 Russian soldiers. It is one of the deadliest attacks on Putin's forces since that war began last February. The strike utilized the U.S.-supplied precision weapon, the HIMARS rocket. It has proven critical in enabling Ukrainian forces to hit key targets and delivered a new setback for Russia as it struggles with the Ukrainian counteroffensive. And it came as Russia deployed exploding drones in another nighttime attack on Ukraine Monday. The Russians continue to target the country's energy infrastructure and civilians and wear down Ukrainian resistance to its invasion. The barrage was the latest in a series of relentless year-end attacks, including one that killed three civilians on New Year's Eve. As I was reading this motion, I'm just thinking uh, we're almost at a year of this war. Yeah, uh, February, third week of February will mark a year uh, since Russia first invaded Ukraine. Uh, if you recall, in the initial phase, there was some thought that Russia could actually uh, invade and occupy Ukraine within a week. Uh, we're now a year, and uh, Ukraine, to a certain extent, has an advantage here, is on the offensive, taking back part of their country. Uh, Vladimir Putin and Zelensky uh, each spoke to their nations uh, right around New Year's. Putin insisted to the Russians he had no choice but to send troops into Ukraine because it was threatening Russia's security. He vowed no let up in his war. The main thing is the fate of Russia, Putin said. So unfortunately, no sign there, at least openly, that he's ready to uh, end the invasion and potentially compromise and strike some sort of ceasefire. Keep in mind that Russia is currently observing public holidays through January 8th, so uh, no expectation that we'll see anything in the next week, at least. What is notable, Jill, is that Russia acknowledged the death of 63 of its soldiers. Uh, it's a huge incident. Uh, effectively, they accidentally put their troops next to an ammo dump in Ukraine. Not the only mistake that they've made recently. The Russian strategy has been a debacle, but it is notable because, you know, Russia has very much been uh, not acknowledging their deaths, not acknowledging the reality of uh, what they're suffering on the ground in Ukraine. So the fact that they admitted this is notable. Uh, and But we should distinguish things. Ukraine, you know, targeted Russian soldiers. Russia daily is now targeting Ukrainian civilians, average people, you know, really puts into perspective you, you know, uh, New Year's Eve, civilians celebrating New Year's Eve in Ukraine were uh, killed uh, by Russian soldiers. And so uh, the nightly attacks now from the Russians are, are a change in tactics. Usually they were striking about a week apart. Now they're striking daily. Uh, Zelensky told Ukrainians that uh, we will stand strong. Uh, we stand united. And they are united only by fear. So uh, both sides really kind of um, showing as of right now no indication uh, that they're uh, ready to compromise. And in particular, Zelensky is like not ready to give up any of his country anytime soon. We saw just before the holidays, his visit to Washington, where he uh, gave those inspirational words uh, to the U.S. Congress. And so he's hoping that over the course of the next few months, they can continue to push back uh, Russian troops. 
From Fox weather, Northern California communities submerged in mammoth flooding over the weekend could get deluged by even more rainfall later this week. Rescue crews are still out looking for people to save in areas inundated by the floods. Dozens have been rescued. Three people have been killed. An atmospheric river, a long, narrow region in the atmosphere which can carry moisture thousands of miles, fueled a parade of storms over the weekend, which led to that record-setting rainfall and those water rescues. Another atmospheric river could bring heavy rain and more flooding Wednesday to northern and central California, including the Bay Area. They could bring about two to six inches of rain to these areas that are already saturated. Sacramento County authorities issued an evacuation order late Sunday for residents in low-lying communities. Several more told people to prepare to leave before more roadways are cut off by rising water and evacuation becomes impossible. It's a tough situation in California. Rainfall in downtown San Francisco hit just about five and a half inches on New Year's Eve. It was the second wettest day on record in 160 plus years in San Francisco since they've been keeping records up in the Sierra Nevada uh, mountains. Uh, four feet of snow that's on top of already a record amount of snow that that region has seen. Uh, Basically, they have gotten enough snow. They typically get an entire winter before January. It's not clear how much the storm or storms, we should say, will make a dent in the drought conditions that have gripped the state. Uh, You know, 2022 was the driest uh, year on record, and now it's ended with flooded roads and swelling rivers. Uh, You mentioned the rescues, uh, Jill. Those uh, will continue. Obviously, we have this next atmospheric river uh, that we're warning folks about. From CBS News, authorities in New York City are investigating whether a 19-year-old man who attacked three police officers in Times Square with a machete on New Year's Eve was inspired by radical Islamic extremism. The attack happened around 10 p.m., about eight blocks from Times Square, just outside the security zone where attendees of the annual countdown were screened for weapons. The suspect, identified as Trevor Bickford, pulled out a machete, striking one officer with the blade and another officer in the head with the handle before swinging the blade at a third officer who then shot him in the shoulder. Law enforcement officials say Bickford traveled to New York City from Maine via Amtrak on Thursday and checked into a hotel two days ahead of the attack. He was also reportedly carrying a handwritten diary that expressed his desire to join the Taliban in Afghanistan and die as a martyr. Bickford remains in custody. He's under police guard at Bellevue Hospital, where he's being treated for a gunshot wound to the shoulder sustained during that attack. Jill, the radicalization here is uh, pretty concerning. He had no prior arrests, but his mother and his aunt notified law enforcement in recent weeks about their concerns that he was gravitating towards dangerous Islamist ideologies, uh, according to uh, multiple reports uh, from CNN, uh, Fox, and the New York Times. Uh, That report from his mother and aunt then prompted the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force to look into him and put him on the FBI watch list. Though the NYPD says they were not aware of this, uh, it appears that last Thursday, Bigford took a train and Amtrak from Maine to New York, uh, arrived in New York, checked into a hotel, and then uh, prepared for his attack uh, on Saturday night. Uh, he's from this very small town, Wells, Maine, which is a beach town of about uh, 11,000 uh, up in Maine. Uh, and so we're continuing to learn more details here. But one thing will be interesting to watch is, is whether there was a communication fail here between the FBI and the NYPD. Okay, Moshe, a lot of notable people passed away over the holidays. Soccer great Pele, designer Vivian Westwood, Pope Benedict XVI, and journalism trailblazer Barbara Walters. 
Um, so let's start from ESPN. Mourners pay final respects to Pele at public viewing in Brazil Stadium. The Brazilian coastal city of Santos, which sporting giant Pele turned into a byword for football brilliance during a glittering club career, started bidding goodbye to its hero on Monday with a 24-hour wake. He was 82 years old and had been battling cancer. Vivian Westwood also passed away. Um, Vulture wrote this of her. The simultaneously iconic and iconoclastic fashion designer died Thursday, December 29th. Westwood's design work impacted every facet of pop culture from the Sex Pistols to today's corset trend. Westwood did it all. And Pope Benedict, he passed away at the age of 95. He was the first pope in 600 years to resign. Benedict had become increasingly frail during his almost 10 years of retirement. His dramatic decision in 2013 to resign paved the way for the conclave that elected Pope Francis. The two popes then lived side by side in the Vatican Gardens in an unprecedented arrangement. Yeah, if you go back into uh, papal history, the last time we had two popes, uh, they were effectively trying to arrest each other, or or the the new one was trying to arrest the old one. Uh, This time we had two popes uh, effectively living in peace. Uh, If you've seen uh, the film Two Popes, it was definitely a fascinating watch. And so the church finds itself in a rare territory here as a living pope will prepare to preside over the funeral of his predecessor. Again, they don't believe this has ever happened in history. This will be taking place on Thursday. Uh, in the Vatican. And it's interesting, Jill, because uh, people have been speculating in the past year or two uh, as to whether Pope Francis, the current pope, might uh, follow this new tradition and also resign before he dies. Uh, It's unclear uh, whether he will do so. In the meantime, though, there's a a lot out there on Benedict's legacy from the time uh, he was pope. He pushed through uh, a bunch of revolutionary changes to church law. Um, In particular, one of the issues that he took seriously was making it easier to defrock predator priests. Uh, He fired hundreds of them. He was the first uh, pope to meet with abuse survivors. He did take some action against a a serial pedophile who was uh, in Pope John Paul II's inner circle. But much more needs to be done on that front. Uh, Abuse survivors and their advocates make clear that they don't feel his record was anything to praise. In fact, they want a lot more done on the church. And it's interesting because Pope Francis, uh, beyond that, uh, has been much more uh, modern in a way and a reformer in a way, whereas Benedict was much more of a, a conservative, a traditionalist. Um, so, uh, you know, one interesting thing to have watched in this past decade or so is that Benedict promised to be quiet when Francis took over, but Benedict would continue to publish things. And there were times where they sort of came into conflict with each other. And of course, Barbara Walters, who broke barriers for women as the first female co-host of the Today Show and the first female anchor of a network evening news program. She died at the age of 93. She interviewed everyone from world leaders to business tycoons to celebrities and became a celeb herself. She spent more than 50 years in front of the camera and until she was 84, continued to appear on The View, the ABC show that she created in the 90s. So, Moshe, as a woman in news, of course, I owe her a big thank you for really leading the way, Um, although I do feel like it's almost cliche to say that at this time, because I feel like that's all I kept seeing on my Instagram feed, but I do mean it. I still have in my parents' house old papers from elementary school where I said when I asked what I wanted to be when I grow up, the next Barbara Walters. And that matters, right? You know, sometimes people will, um, you know, question, you know, these, you know, pushes to 
to diversity, right? Whether it's um, gender diversity or racial diversity. But as a kid, being able to uh, look up, and in this case, on the television screen, and see someone like you, you know, doing something, uh, you know, opens the door. It's, it's one of the things, I mean, totally tangential here, but we're talking about going back to the moon um, in the next two years, right? NASA's going back to the moon. And for the first time, they want to land a woman on the moon, right? They want to put someone, a person of color on the moon. And these are images which um, mean something. And when you're a kid and you look up and you're like, oh, we have a female vice president now, or there's a Barbara Walters on TV, that matters. Um, and, you know, Barbara had to fight, and she talks about this in her autobiographies and in interviews, um, a lot of bias, a lot of issues uh, to get to where, uh, you know, she became the first female co-anchor of an evening newscast. Um, and, you know, even today, anything, you know, we have Nora O'Donnell and CBS Evening News, you know, you, you've, you've only had a handful, Connie Chung, uh, Katie Couric. Uh, but when you look at the history of the evening newscast, those traditional, you know, network newscasts, a vast majority of them, you know, white men. And so that diversity mattered. And, and she, she, you know, it's cliche to call her a trailblazer, but she in fact was a trailblazer. Uh, but, but I like, you know, you, you taught, you mentioned here the legacy of also taking on the serious news, but the entertainment news um, and, you know, saying this is all news. These are all things people are talking about. These are things that matter to everybody. And it's certainly something that uh, was a big deal for her and why she created the view, right. Is, is another place to discuss the wide range of news stories uh, from the officially important to the interesting, uh, that they're all relevant, that they all need to be discussed. Yeah, I was listening to Howard Kurtz, media analyst for Fox News. Um, he worked with her at ABC at one point, and he said, yes, she was this trailblazer for women journalists. But as you mentioned, you know, he said she was the first journalist to not only go after those hard news interviews like Egyptian President Anwar Sadat, but also the sensational crime stories, famously Monica Lewinsky, uh, celebrities. And she did it because, like so many of us, she was interested in all of it. She famously loved gossip. You know, she loved asking, OK, what do you have for me? You know, give me some good gossip. I was reading. I follow Monica Lewinsky on Instagram and Twitter, by the way. She's a good follow on Twitter. She tends to have some good one liners. And Monica posted the photo uh, from the interview in 98 when Monica was just 24 years old. So Monica's talking about their uh, off-air conversation, and, and Monica was saying, you know, this is the, the this is the first time I've been in serious trouble. This is obviously after she's fired. She's dealing with the investigation. You know, Clinton's, uh, you know, being impeached, the whole affair, etc. And Monica's saying to Barbara, "I got good grades. I never did drugs. I never shoplifted." And apparently, Barbara, without missing a beat, says, "Monica, next time, shoplift." <laughs> Um, it's so true. Uh, by the way, I just looked up that quote that she said about gossiping. She said, show me someone who never gossips and I'll show you someone who isn't interested in people. Love Barbara it. Walters on point. Has the, <laughs> the, the pulse. And, and by the way, I should mention growing up in the 90s, I, there was a very few Friday nights that would not end with us watching 2020 with her and Hugh Downs, who we also lost recently. Um, their show on Friday nights where, you know, they again, they they did everything from the consumer to the politics, the international uh, to the fun. And, you know, I remembered starting starting my weekend and, and being able to watch 2020 with my my parents, with Barbara and Hugh. And it was a, a huge part of of growing up and also, um, you know, my my desire to get into this business. And Jill, as we all uh, try to make good on our New Year's resolutions, for me, one of the big ones has always been trying to drink new water. And there's a new study out that I want to tell everyone about. Uh, this comes to us from NBC News. A new study shows that drinking enough water is also associated with significantly lowering your risk of developing chronic diseases, 
lowering risk of dying early and lower risk of being biologically older than your chronological age, meaning uh, this literally will make you live longer and look younger. This is a new study out of the National Institutes of Health published Monday in the journal eBiomedicine. The results are based on data collected over 25 years from more than 11,000 adults. The participants in this study attended their first medical visits at uh, the age range of 45 to 66, and then the study followed them through their follow-up uh, appointments through the ages of 70 to 90. The researchers looked at the levels of sodium in the participants' blood as a proxy for hydration, and because higher concentrations are a sign that they most likely weren't consuming enough fluids. The study found that participants with a high blood sodium levels aged faster physiologically than those with lower levels. And that was reflected in health markers associated with aging, like high blood pressure, cholesterol, and blood sugar. Uh, the authors actually had done a previous study on the aging process on mice, and then were following this. But it's a uh, the latest evidence, Jill, that you know you hear it all the time, but we need to drink more water. Now, in terms of total fluids, the National Academies of Medicine suggests that most women should consume about six to nine cups every day. For men, that's eight to 12 cups. And this includes drinking water, water that's in beverages, and also water that's part of food. One thing, though, that's important, the findings do not prove a causal effect. This is something the researchers are, are stressing because people who drink more water also tend to work out and live healthier lifestyles. They do plan to move forward, though, with randomized controlled trials. They say that's necessary to determine if optimal hydration can promote healthy aging, prevent disease, and lead to a longer life. All right, Jill, let's end here with uh, On This Day. We actually, um, I actually want to begin with some uh, Papal news, since uh, that was in the headlines and is in the headlines. Uh, on this day, 402 years ago, in 1521, uh, Pope Leo X officially excommunicated Martin Luther uh, from the Catholic Church. Uh, you know, Martin Luther, the big uh, reformer uh, leading to the Protestant Reformation, officially out of the Catholic Church on this day uh, 402 years ago. Uh, getting to the 20th century, Apple uh, computers was officially incorporated today, 45 years ago. Happy 45th birthday, Apple. Uh, it has uh, gone on to become one of the world's most valuable companies. You're probably listening to us on one of their devices right now. And then a little bit of uh, 90s news for uh, many of our uh, fellow Xennials, elder millennials. On this day in 1991, Blossom, featuring Maya Bialik, premiered on NBC 31 years ago today, Jill. Whoa. That's my Joey Lawrence impression. That's, That's all I got go. for you. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, and then just five years later, uh, this was my first cell phone. Motorola introduced the StarTech uh, flip phone. Uh, this, I shall remind you Gen Zers, uh, did not have text messaging ability. Texting doesn't happen for about six more years. I believe I had one of those as well. It wasn't like the Zach Morris phone, those those no. huge ones that were the first kind of like car phones. Um, but it, it was bulky i guess for a you know phone that didn't do much except make phone calls yeah and it had that little it had the little antenna you pulled out and god knows what that antenna actually did it definitely broke it several times uh before i moved on i think i went through a nextel phase after that um and jill this is interesting in my on this day research the straw turns 135 years old today at least the patented straw the patent for the straw uh, came out january 3rd 1888 a guy named marvin stone applied for it and Jill, here's the news. The first straw patented in America in 1888, a paper straw. Yeah, what's old is new again, Mosh. 
<laughs> maybe the, then we went on to plastic straws and people are like, oh, this is great. And now we brought back paper, obviously for environmental reasons. But apparently, folks, uh, in the late 1800s, people were drinking out of paper straws. So um, I'm sure uh, if they were around today, they would have the same complaints you do about those paper straws. And Mosh, that is a wrap on our first official podcast of 2023. A big thank you to everyone for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. Yeah, those reviews really make a difference. So thank you to all of you who've been submitting those reviews, particularly on Apple and Spotify. Jill, uh, someone, I read a recent review, someone wanted to give us four and a half stars. They really liked the podcast. They had to give us four stars because they can't do a half star. Their complaint, I'm talking too fast. So hmm. that is one of my resolutions this year, Jill, is to try to slow down. That's so interesting, though, because I actually listen to all podcasts, including this one, on 1.2 speed. So, oh. I, yeah, so I, I speed it up. It's going to be a big news week, so stick with us. And thanks to all of you for starting your year right with us. Uh, don't forget to follow our coverage over on the Instagram account, the Mo News Instagram account, at Moshe, at M-O-S-H-E-H. So check us out over there for 24-7 coverage. We will see everyone back here tomorrow. All right. Bye, everyone.